0: Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Galatians, found in the New Testament. If you're using black Bibles, that's page 972, the book of Galatians. We've been studying this book starting at the end of the summer and continuing it on through the fall. Here at Embassy, we like to go through books of the Bible primarily as the main way of understanding who God is, understanding ourselves, understanding our mission and our purpose of the world, just systematically working through what God has said. We think that's the most important idea. That can be presented, thought about, talked about. And so we spend extended time reading and singing and praying and preaching over God's word. And so we'll do that now in Galatians yet again. We'll primarily be looking at Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. So when I say chapter that's the bigger number and then the verse numbers are the smaller numbers that are next to the the words there on the page. The Christian life has often been summarized and described as a walk like a long journey. All of us are walking down a path. We're headed in some direction. Some people may not know which direction they're headed in, but you are. You're walking somewhere. You're going somewhere. The Bible says that our hearts and our minds are equivalent to the modern-day GPS navigational systems inside of us. We live our lives and we make our decisions based on where our moral compass, our hearts, our minds, where we think and the way we Feel and operate the core of who we are we then speak and talk and live and so we're headed based on those navigational directions so over the past two days I had the privilege of driving 15 hours in a vehicle following a navigation system from Virginia Beach to our home here in Palatine without that navigation system I'm sure it would have been a more difficult process and journey yesterday we passed some billboards for the gummy bear factory In northwest Indiana, we had some voices in the car speaking louder than the navigation system. Hey, we should stop. Let's take a detour to the gummy bear factory. Some of those voices might have been my own, but I'll leave that for your own imaginations. I eventually did not listen to those voices. I stayed the course because at this point, I was done being in the car, if you know the feeling. The gummy bear factory would only delay the trip longer, and I was ready to be home. The Christian life is like that long journey. It is a pilgrimage, like one old book by John Bunyan, The Pilgrim's Progress. All of the Christian life is a long pilgrimage. Another Christian author called it a long obedience in the same direction. My friends, this is not just what the Christian life is about. Galatians speaks of this metaphor, I think, repeatedly. It's what this book is about. Here in the book of Galatians, you have a group of Christians who have begun the Christian pilgrimage, the Christian journey. They are on a walk toward God. They are on a walk with God. They are realizing at some point in their lives when they heard the message of Christianity that they were on the wrong path, they were headed in the wrong direction, and they embarked, they started a journey. Similar to the testimony we heard earlier this morning by James, James grew up in a Christian family. And James shared with us that even though he grew up in a Christian family, he wasn't a member of his church right away. He asked his mom, am I a member of our church? No, you're not. Not yet, at least. Maybe one day, if you believe, if you embark and start the journey, now you're a part of the Christian church. Here at Embassy, we affirm that teaching, that Christians are not born as Christians. They started a journey, and they were headed as they were born in the wrong direction, in the wrong path. And God interrupted, arrested, stopped us in our tracks and turned us around. This is what the word repentance is all about if you've ever heard that word before. Repent, it means to turn, to change your mind, to turn from one direction to the other. And so that's what the Christian life is about. That's what Galatians is about. A bunch of Christians who have begun the journey headed toward Christ, headed toward the cross. God's spirit shaped in them, turned them around. The problem is, these group of Christians that are being written to here, they have had some voices worse than the gummy bear voices. Some detours on the road. In fact, they're not telling you to just turn a little bit to the right or the left. The way the Galatians talks about it is. They're wanting them to turn around and go the opposite direction altogether. That's the problem being faced here in Galatians. In fact, look with me again if you would as review. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. This is the start of the letter here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some of you, some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. And so when we taught over these verses, one of the things I explained was that the language here about distorting and contrary and different, it'd be like you're walking along the Christian life and these teachers come along and they're asking you to follow the opposite direction in the wrong way to distort it to do it inside out to go backwards essentially that's what's happening and he's astonished he's astonished that they would so quickly going along be like oh gummy bears oh yeah let's turn around you know they quickly a different gospel really and so he is telling them in this letter do not listen to those voices no matter who they are if it's an angel even if it's me stay the course That's what this letter is primarily trying to help people do. Stay the course toward the gospel message of Christ. Follow the navigational system that I have presented to you. Christ and him crucified. The the way of the cross. Follow that path. Later in chapter 2, if you turn your eyes to chapter 2, verse 14, you'll see this, this illustration used again, this idea of walking. Look at verse 14 when Paul is rebuking Peter for his ethnocentrism, for his racism, for his Jew only and exclusion of the Gentile. He says in verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was okay at not eating Jewish dietary laws and following them in his own personal life. But he was demanding that Gentiles follow Jewish dietary laws. And he's like, hey man, that's messed up. That's a contradiction. That's not in step with the gospel. Each step you're supposed to keep walking in the grace of the gospel and you're out of line. The in step passage here is talking about being in a straight line. So the gospel message is our straight line. And are we walking that walk? Are we following the gospel as our navigational, directional system? Or is there a different end goal for you? Is there a different end destination? The Christian life is to be one where we keep in step with the gospel message by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way Galatians is going to eventually finish. Turn with me to Galatians 5, verses 16 And 25, so that you see that in Paul's mind that there's a way to walk, there's a way to keep in step with the gospel, and it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And drop down to verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so all of these ideas I want to have in your mind as we turn our attention to today's passage. Paul, in his mind, is helping people stay the course, stay the straight line, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, which is the gospel line. That's the big idea. So let's hear the gospel line. That's today's message. We're going to look at the line. We're going to focus on the line. We're going to stay focused and not let the outside voices tell us to detour or go the wrong direction. And we're going to hopefully see what that line is. So let's read Galatians three ten through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It may not be immediately obvious to you, maybe it is, but these four verses are packed with dense, huge, weighty issues, and it can get extremely complex. So I'm planning to not get into the complexity of them, but rather overview the simple message. Here's the line. Let's make it simple and straightforward this morning. So I have two questions for you. Question one, looking at verses 10 Through 12, I want to ask you, are you headed toward the curse? Question two, are you headed toward the Christ? Verses 13 and 14. We're just going to break the passage into two halves. We're going to look at first, you're either headed toward the curse, the wrong direction, or you're headed toward the Christ. Which one is it? I want you to be thinking about your walk with the Lord and our walk collectively because the Christian walk is not an individual walk. It is a corporate walk. It is like a big, grand caravan where we as a community, we walk together, side by side, arm in arm, helping those who are struggling and falling down and being tempted to detour. We do this as a church community. So your individual walk needs to be a representative of the greater church community walk that we as a church are on together when we started this journey as a church three and a half years ago. So how are we doing and how are you doing are the questions to be thinking about, is this your path? So first... Let's look at verses 10 through 12, and let's consider, are you headed toward the curse? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. This is the first and most important phrase for this section. The first word in it is important, for. For connects it to the last verse. Look at verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The link should be obvious. Blessing, in verse 9, is being contrasted with what in verse 10? Curse. Now, for some of you, this may be a new idea. It may sound strange this morning that I'm talking about blessings and curses. A lot of us, modern ears, we don't have biblical ideas in our minds. So when we hear curse, we think of voodoo witch doctors. We think of the present my brother gave me. So this last week, we were in Virginia Beach with my family. My brother was visiting with us, and he's been in Indonesia. He's been in Southeast Asia. He's been doing missionary work over there. And so my brother brought back a gift to me as I reunited with him and his family. And he brought me back a badik. And this is apparently like a whoa scary thing. And the thing that the body is, and I should have brought it with me, but I didn't, but it's a knife. It's a knife that's like very obvious when you see it, not just any ordinary, ordinary knife. It's a knife that you pull it out. And when you pull it out, apparently there are demons that are attached to the knife. And they curse whoever opens the knife if they're not the owner of the knife. And then they put poison on the tip of the knife. And he says that they use this knife that if there is a need to do violence, or is there a need to defend their family, if there's a need to go after their daughter who has run away and gotten married without permission, they kill the daughter and the husband with the knife. Like, it's intense, right? So he, he got one of these body knives made without the curse ritual, okay? And like, okay, I'm going to get like a custom made just normal body knife and tell the story about these knives and give it to my brother, and so I'm like, should I open it or not? Like, okay, there's no curse on it. And that's what we normally think of when we think of curse, like witch doctors putting curses and, and spells on people. That's, that's not the biblical language. It's not what curses mean. You need to understand that right here in this verse, when you see four, there's a contrast between blessed and cursed. And there's a whole concept of blessing and curses that's in the very beginning pages of the Bible. You've probably heard it before if you've read the Bible. And so God made the animals on the sixth day. And on the sixth day when he made the animals, he blessed them and they were fruitful and multiplied. And then he saw that he needed to make man in his own image and he blessed them and they were fruitful and they multiplied. And on the seventh day, he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. So right from the first page of the Bible, you see God blessing the creation, blessing time, blessing people, blessing matter in space. It's blessed. Then on the third page, the third chapter of the Bible, you see curse come into the story. You see Adam and Eve choose to rebel against this God who just gave them a rich, abundant blessing. They eat of the fruit, and then curse comes on as they were deceived by the serpent. And so the serpent is cursed, and the ground is cursed, and the whole earth is cursed. cursed. And the story at the end of chapter 3 is this devastating bad news. The whole earth is cursed by God. And in the same way that God pronounced blessing, and the blessing there is a pronouncement of action. When God blesses something, it happens. So when God curses something, it happens. And so now we live in a world that's cursed. We live in a world with a curse over us. And there's a way to get out of the curse. There's a way to go back to the blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, if you remember, God made a promise to Abraham. And he said, through you, I'm going to bless you and your family and the whole earth now, because the curse is over the whole earth, the whole earth can now be blessed. And so the good news of the curse being reversed, the curse being lifted, comes ultimately through Jesus, through Abraham's family. But it starts with Abraham. I'm gonna bless you. And two weeks ago, that's what we considered, that our faith is rooted in the promise made to Abraham. When God promised through you, I will bless, and he did bless. He blessed him and his wife, even though they had no children, and she was barren, and she was really old, that's what the text says, it emphasizes she was old, but yet she still had babies. She had a baby, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and so the story goes And God's blessing is the story of Scripture, and it's contrasted with curses. One author said, the curse after Genesis 3 should sound like a hundred nuclear warheads headed right toward us. That's what you should get in your mind. Not some voodoo witch doctor, but the curse of God. It's bad news. It's a foundational teaching in the Bible that the whole world is cursed. You've sang this song, even if you're not a Christian, my guess is you know this song, Joy to the World. You heard that song at Christmas time. There's a line in there. He comes to make his blessings flow. Do you know how it ends? Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, you know that? It's Christmas. Far as the curse is found, that song, Joy to the World. How does he make his blessings flow far as the curse is found? That's what our passage is all about. The reverse of God's curse through the blessing that God promised to Abraham that finally comes in Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll see in verses 13 and 14. Christ taking on the curse. Do you see in this passage that God has oriented a world full of blessing and we have rejected God and his blessings and we have brought a curse on ourselves? And this is a concept that is used all through the Bible to help us realize that we are either moving toward further steps of God's blessing or moving away and toward God's curse. For you this morning, where do you think your relationship with God is at? Would you say that you're taking steps toward the blessing and the favor and the goodness of God? Does your life show evidence and sign that God is blessing Or would you say that you're experiencing the pain and the discomfort of the actual choices you made? I'm not just talking about, so there's general curse? Like the world just is painful and evil and it's terrible at times. It hurts, it stings. And that happens to both the good and the bad. It happens to those who are living by faith and those who are not. But then there are those times where you make decisions and you're walking down the wrong road and those decisions lead to pain and more suffering and more evil. Which road? Which path? This is the big idea here. Your relationship with God is either going well and blessed or it is broken down. That's what blessing and curses are about. Relationship with God. And here it says in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So you need to know, how am I doing? Are we as a church, are we headed toward this direction or that direction? Well, here's the answer. Are you relying on your works of the law, obedience to God's law, or are you relying on something else? Are you identifying with something else? See, the language here is actually very strictly, some of your translations may even put it this way, for as many as are of the works of the law. So relying here in most modern translations is actually an interpretation of the essence of this sentence. The strict, very literal reading of this sentence would say, you who are of the works of the law, you identify yourself as being of the works of the law. That means that's who you're associating yourself with. That's your path, if you want to put it that way. Are you of that path, the works of the law path, or are you of the path of faith? If you identify yourself as traveling with those who want to say, "I follow the, the law." I obey God's law. I am trying to have my identity shaped and my relationship with God on the basis of my obedience and performance of God's law. You, my friend, are headed in the wrong path. You are headed to a curse. That's the big idea of this passage. Strictly speaking, he's talking to Jews. Strictly speaking, I think he's talking about the Old Testament law, but I do believe that we can take this principle out and realize that obedience to God's law in the Old Testament or obedience to God in general, if that is the basis of your relationship with God, not his promised blessing by faith, but your performance, the doing. Do you notice that in the text? It says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's what this text is about, doing obedience. Which group are you in? Which voices are you listening to? If you don't know that the law in the Old Testament gave rules and laws for finding blessing and cursing, he's talking here in this quotation. He says, for it is written. He quotes Deuteronomy 27. So turn with me real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 27. So you can see this passage and then the next chapter, chapter 28. The famous Old Testament blessings and curses. So if you look on page 168, you'll see chapter 27 Verse 26. That's what Paul quotes in our passage in Galatians chapter 3. And he says in Deuteronomy, God's word, Cursed be anyone who does not conform, confirm, and obey the words of this law by doing them. And all the people say, Amen. And then you read verse 1 of chapter 28. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and your young and your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. You get the idea. You obey this law. You keep these words, all of them that is. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Wherever you go, no matter what you do, I'm going to shower you with blessing. So what happens if you don't keep all the laws? What if you only obey some of them? Drop your eyes down to verse 15. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. This is the context Paul is quoting in Galatians 3 10. For everyone who is of the law company. The path of obedience to God by the law. Like, hey, I want to do that. I want to try and just get God's blessing through obedience to the law and be blessed, blessed, blessed because I'm obeying God's law. If that's your attempt, guess what you're going to get? Not the blessings, you're going to get the curses. Because look at the way chapter 27, verse 26 says. You have to do all of them. You have to do them, and it's all of them. You see the emphasis on doing and all, and you put the two together, and you look at your life, and you're like, I'm not doing so good. I'm not doing all of them. And so this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. If you rely on, if you depend on, associate yourself with the law-keeping movement, that path, then you will be cursed. Why? Because no one keeps the law perfectly. That's idea number one in our passage. Go back to Galatians 3, 10, and 11. Why will you be cursed? Because no one keeps the law perfectly. No one does. No one does obey and do all of the law. Reason number two, look at verse 11. Why will you be cursed? Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law For the righteous shall live by faith. Reason number two, why you'll be cursed? Because God does not want his relationship with you, justification, your standing before God. That's what this justification word's about. Your relationship with God is not determined by law. It is determined by faith. And so he quotes then Habakkuk chapter 2 to make his point. So if you're following down the law path, You're headed the wrong way because you need to be going down the faith path. And he's saying, hey, that was even true in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament law, the the books that Old Testament people use, there were evidences that it was all about faith in the promise to begin with. Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteous. That was two weeks ago. That's the passage we saw in Galatians 3, 1 through 9. Now we're seeing a different passage Not in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteous, but now we have a second Old Testament passage, that the righteous will live by faith because of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith, and he quotes that right there. Now some people think, as they study Habakkuk and Paul's usage of it, that he is doing all kinds of text twisting, meaning he's just taking verses of the Bible like, I want it to say this, and I'm going to make it say whatever I want it to say. And my friends, this is not a good thing. You, if you want to walk the path of Christian life, you don't just take Bible passages and say whatever you want. Then you're making your own path. You, you follow the line. What's the line? And we follow it. And that's our navigational system. And we walk that path. And most people that are deviating from it or turning around and going the wrong way is because they're just picking Bible passages and making them say whatever they want to do. So is Paul doing that here? Absolutely not. I think that what Paul is doing here is similar to the way we would hyperlink an article on a website. You guys know what a hyperlink is? You ever read an article on a website and then you see that some of the words are like blue or green or they're a different color and you click on them and then boom, a new article pops up. You ever had that happen? That's what this is. This is hyperlink. This is, I'm gonna give you a quote from the Old Testament book Habakkuk, but I really mean the whole message of the book of Habakkuk so that you could just kind of, boom, pop. There's all of Habakkuk in your mind. Now, if you're a Jew, you know Habakkuk. You know the whole story of Habakkuk, and you know that the main point of Habakkuk is the end of the book, not chapter two, verse four. The main point of the book of Habakkuk is that when things get really tough, really difficult, when you feel like God is not blessing you anymore and his favor is turned away from you, you're gonna wonder, is God really for us anymore? And the end of the book reads this way. Though the fig tree does not blossom, though the fruit is not on the vines, though the produce of the olives are failing, though the fields are not yielding any food, though the flocks be cut off from the fold, and though there are no herds in the stalls. Does that sound like a rough go? Famine hurricane disasters over Houston. Is God blessing? What are we going to do when we're in a desolate wasteland and we're feeling like God's displeasure is over us? How are we going to continue to go on? The answer is the righteous live by faith. What do they do when they see that the the fig tree doesn't blossom and that the herds are not multiplying, that the barns are empty? You've got no money in your bank account. You lost your job. Your wife left you. Do you get what I'm saying here? How do you live your life? How do you keep walking? The answer is by faith. And so Habakkuk ends with these amazing verses. Though all of these things are happening, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. The Lord is my salvation. I will rejoice. All of that is going around. But in the midst of that, I can walk down a path of rejoicing and trusting and having faith in God. How is Habakkuk not about faith? How is it not about trust? That's exactly what this book is about. So if you see it that way, as him quoting, the righteous shall live by faith, it's a little summary of a little tagline that helps you see the whole story of Habakkuk. That even when things get tough, we trust because God is good. He is the God of our salvation, and he will deliver us, and he is our strength. Is that you this morning? Is that how you're walking through the storms, the waves, the hurricanes, the devastation of your world that's crumbling down? How many times do people come to pastors and elders and say, this circumstance is happening, I'm now doubting God loving me. I'm now doubting God's blessing. I think I am on the opposite side. I'm on the wrong side of the ledger. God is angry with me. How many times? A lot. We need to be reminded this morning as we hear this little hyperlink to Habakkuk that even though your circumstances may look bad, trust in the God of your salvation. Trust in the God who is your strength. Trust in the God who brings death and brings life out of death. That's what he does. He takes sin and darkness and he brings light. So even if it is as bad as it has ever been in your life, there is a God who gets things from bad and turns them into great glory. Have faith. The righteous person, they hear this message and they say, yes, that's the line. I'm walking down that line, pastor. That's, that's my route. This is why he's quoting, and I don't think he's taking the verse and twisting it out of context. He's quoting this verse so we're all realizing that faith is being contrasted here with works of the law. So reason number one for why people will be under a curse, why? Well, because you don't obey the law. So don't rely on your obedience. That's not going to go so well for you. Reason number two is because the path is not works of the law, it's faith, and it always has been. Reason number three, look at verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The reason why you will be cursed if you go down the path of works of the law is because the law and faith are opposites. They don't work together. They're not compatible. A relationship with God by law-keeping is heading in the wrong direction and you can't have it both ways. You're either taking one step closer today as you hear this message, deeper into faith and trust in God, or you're trusting yourself. You're either moving further away or you're moving closer to relying on God to be your everything. They don't go together. Faith is a needy cry of a desperate person who says, I've got nothing, God. I need you to be my everything. While works try to say, look at all that I got and I'm going to press you, God. Those don't go together. It's either one or the other. You're either down on your knees, bowing and begging, God, I need your help, or you're going to just do it yourself. Faith is the hand reaching out for help, while works insist, I don't need your help. Faith trusts that God will accomplish his salvation alone by his own efforts, whereas works try and smuggle in our own human effort to cooperate with God's salvation. As Martin Luther once said, trying to be justified by the law is like counting money from an empty purse. Purse. It is like eating and drinking from an empty bowl or dish, looking for strength and riches where there is nothing but weakness and poverty, laying a burden on someone who is already oppressed to the point of collapse, trying to spend a hundred pieces of gold and not having a single penny. That's what it's like trying to live your life this path down works of the law. It's foolishness. It's madness. The whole book is a giant warning sign to say, reroute, different direction, whoa, whoa, rerouting, go back this way, faith in the cross. So, are you headed toward Christ by faith? That's question number two. And we'll close with this question. Are you headed toward the Christ? Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We see three amazing things in these passages. Verses 13 and 14. First, we see redemption. Second, we see the blessing And third, we see the Spirit. First, in verse 13, you see redemption. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Do you all know what the word redemption means? If you were to define it right now, do you think you would have a good definition? What does this mean? Christ redeemed us from the curse. Biblically speaking, This word is a word that means to buy something out of slavery, to purchase. The idea is that we are all stuck in a situation like a slave is stuck in their slavery and their chains. We're under a curse. The whole earth is under a curse. Genesis chapter three, the whole ground, the whole earth is groaning. Romans eight says we're under a curse, you're stuck. But Jesus Christ purchases you out of that slavery and bondage and redeems you. He redeems you how, though? It says, by becoming a curse for us. The curse of the entire world, not just a little bit of curse, not just your curse, not just a few people's, but the curse of the world fell on Jesus Christ. He was the perfect one who obeyed the law and did not deserve the curse. He was the only one who did walk the line of obedience and stayed obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And do you know why? Do you know why Jesus had a curse fall on him? Because he chose to. He willingly laid down his life. Some people think that the cross is this cruel cosmic father disciplining his child like child abuse. Oh, this is the center of Christianity, the crucifixion of the son of God, Jesus willingly laid down his life and chose to take the curse on as an act of love and as an act of faith. Listen to these words from second 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you would walk and follow in his steps. You want to follow step by step in the path toward Christ, he left an example because he committed no sin, perfectly obeyed the law. Deceit was not found in his mouth. He was then reviled, but he did not revile back. He was suffering, but he did not threaten. He only continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. The example set before us of following a path step by step and following Jesus is to realize that he chose to live a perfect life that you and I could never live on our own. He did that so that at the end of that life, he would choose that when he could have, he could have fought back, he could have stopped, he could have used his power to make sure that he didn't die, but instead he did not say a word. He silently was mocked and abused and beaten and he did that for you because it says he was trusting himself to the one who judged justly. He was believing by faith, you could say. He was trusting that God would deliver him. He's trusting that God would use this sacrifice as a pleasing aroma that would honor the demand for justice that God had. And so it says in verse 24 of 1 Peter 2, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that we might die to our sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see how the cross takes straying people who are walking off the path and gets them straight again? do you see that your path is one marked with a road of suffering if we're going to sit here today and say i'm a christian who follows jesus and get upset when difficult things happen how do you reconcile what i just read to you jesus did not get upset with like what's this whole plan about Surely, yes, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was the weight of feeling the curse bearing down on him. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he hung on the cross? And he questioned God, is there any other way? And the answer was, no, this is the only way. And what did he do? He did it anyway. This is the example we have before us. To step moment by moment by faith, knowing that each of these steps are acts of following Jesus. And these acts of following Jesus at times will lead us into more suffering, not less. Because the example of Jesus is not to run from the curse, it is to take it on. This is unbelievable what he has done for us, to give us a path to follow, for how we then live our lives. We don't shy away from suffering, we at times embrace it and choose more of it. Not because we're Like a pleasure seeker or a sufferer seeker. Like, oh, I want more pain and suffering. No, we want the glory that comes on the other side of that suffering so we go into it. In your everyday lives, you could choose, "Ah, I'm just not going to have that conversation with someone. That could be difficult for me. But you know in your heart of hearts that that conversation needs to happen for the sake of reconciliation. For the sake of God's love and peace and goodness on the world, and in your little life sphere, you need to have that difficult conversation. Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to just go this way. (laughs) The way of the cross is to embrace that it might get messier before it gets beautiful again. It might get uglier. It might get more difficult. So think about your life. What are the ways that you need to embrace this idea that we follow the crucified Christ who took on the curse and from that taking on the curse, redemption for the whole world came? Do you believe by faith that God will bless your steps of continuing to walk down a difficult road as you serve, as you lay down your life, as you wash people's feet? Maybe even literally, but metaphorically speaking. This is not a message of health, wealth, and happiness. It's not a message of Everything's going to go cheery and happy if you follow Jesus. Count the cost. This is who we follow. Second thing we see is that this leads to blessing. Not only just redemption, but blessing. Verse 14 says, so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Do you all know that the blessing that was given at the end of the book of Numbers was given to the people of Israel? And so, like, you know, at every end of the service, I give, like, a benediction to, like, send you out. Like, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you and give you peace, and I bless you as you leave. It's kind of taken from this idea in Numbers chapter 6 that the, the end of the worship gathering in the Old Testament, there would be a priestly blessing that speaks out blessing over the people. That blessing that's full of the nearness and the closeness of God. Listen to the words. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May his countenance be turned toward you, not away from you. No, there's closeness. There's nearness. There's fellowship and intimacy with God. That blessing that was given only to the Jews again and again and again. Jesus comes. He redeems us from the curse. And now the blessing is spoken to the entire world. May the blessing of God's nearness and closeness be to you. You who feel like I'm too far off. You who feel like I'm not deserving. You who feel like I'm not of the right ethnic origin or birth. Whatever it is that you feel like would make you think, no. The cross and redeeming us from the curse means that blessing is now what God speaks, not curse. And it's for the entire world And this should shape us in our mission as a church to realize that the blessing comes not just to us, not just to the in crowd, but to those outside of this room, outside of the circle, outside of who you think should be blessed. God wants to speak blessing because he took on the curse for us. And lastly, look at the promised spirit so that in Christ Jesus The blessing of Abraham might come to the whole world, the Gentiles. So Jew and Gentile. And then finally, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All through the Old Testament, there was a lesson being learned. If I give the people the law and tell them to receive blessing through the law, they will have a broken GPS system called their heart. And the only solution is to give them new hearts. And so in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel and in even the end of Deuteronomy says, look, the best way to receive blessing is to have your hearts circumcised, to be transformed. That's how Deuteronomy ends. You know, what they really need is a circumcised heart. They need a corrected GPS system from the inside out. They need a new mind that's renewed day by day through God's word. They need the the law of God written on their hearts, not on stone tablets, but here inside, Jeremiah says, there's gonna be a day where I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you and it's gonna bring life out of deadness. It's gonna go deep in you. Ezekiel says, I'm gonna take out a heart of stone, I'm gonna put in this soft heart that now loves God. It's not gonna be cold toward God, it's gonna be soft toward God. It's gonna be loving and pursuing obedience to his commandments and I'm gonna put that in you and I'm gonna cause you, this is the language of Ezekiel, I'm gonna cause you to obey. And the cross of Christ purchases for us not just redemption out of the slavery of the curse and the bondage of the curse, but it also deposits in the Holy Spirit that was promised by Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the end of Deuteronomy, the circumcision of the heart, the change from the inside out. And this, my friends, is the way that we keep in step, moment by moment, one step at a time, I think one way for us to think about what it is for us as a church to do together is to help each of us take one more step to the right, one more step closer into faith, closer into obedience, linking arms, pulling each other on and saying, listen, take one more step today, this week, collectively, communally as a church, believing and trusting that regardless of your circumstances, this is the God we serve, the Christ on the cross. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to give you thanks now for Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the way that he has died on a cross for our sins. We want to thank you that Christ took on the curse that we deserved. That all the weight of your wrath and your anger and your judgment was put on Christ. And that we now are freed from the slavery of that curse. That none of us in this room have to live a performance-oriented mindset ever again. That we are received as children, as sons and daughters by faith. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the ways that it sets our course. It charts our path. And most of all, thank you for Jesus who blazed that path ahead of us. That we are not going to go anywhere by faith that you have not already gone before us. You're not going to call us to something that you've not already done yourself. In the person and work of Jesus, you have gone above and beyond the call of faith. You've given your life. You've given everything. And so, God, as we struggle along, as we trip and fall, as we get tempted to steer off course, I pray that this church would be a place that gathers people together week in and week out, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week to bring encouragement and hope and at times, godly, loving rebukes that help people say, Stop going the wrong way. Lord, may we be the kind of people with boldness and courage that has difficult conversations when they need to be had out of love, out of concern for our brother and sister. God, speak this word of blessing over this church for the good of us, for the good of your glory, for the good of the gospel to the nations. May we be a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.